I invite you to turn in your Bible with me today to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16 in just a few minutes. Today is the final message in this series about things that they didn't tell you about parenting. And the reason they didn't tell you is because they come out of the Scripture and a lot of times people don't take God's Word as seriously as they should or they discount it for some specific reason when the reality is the greatest wisdom you will ever find for the raising of your children is found in the eternal, inerrant Word of the living God. And those things that we've been looking at We've been going to five different passages of Scripture. We've been exegeting and expounding each of those passages of Scripture and then learning how we can apply each of those passages. But today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. It's going to be very practical. If you're writing things down, in just a little while I'm going to give you 15 ways to love your children. And I hope you'll write down these 15 different ways that you can show love uh, to your children. But we're going to be a little more topical today as we talk about this subject of love. And I suppose that I put this as the capstone because everything else you do, if it isn't done in the spirit and the attitude of love for your kids, it'll come across as legalism. It'll come across as um, people who are just trying to follow the rules and the regulations, and they won't sense the love that's coming from your heart. You know, as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about how many times in the Gospels that Jesus interacted in some way with children. And I found at least 10 different ways that Jesus interacted with children. For instance, Jesus was a child himself, right? Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And during the Christmas season, that's a, it's a common verse for us to turn to and to think about But isn't it amazing that the Savior of all mankind came through the womb of the Virgin Mary and was born as a little bitty baby and grew up as a child, and he understands children. The second is found here in Mark chapter 10. It's where Jesus takes the children in his arms and he blesses them. And I want you to follow with me beginning in verse 13. Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. I think that's one of the most beautiful pictures in the gospel stories of Jesus about Jesus' interaction with children. Can you see that scene in your mind's eye? He's uh, there with the disciples and children are being brought to him and the children want to get around him and the disciples are shooing them away. Get away, get away. He doesn't have time for you. He doesn't have time for you. And yet Jesus says the exact opposite. And Jesus uses the children as an illustration of how you enter the kingdom. There's got to be that humble faith in order to become a child of the living God. And can you see Jesus, maybe that long flowing beard and that flowing hair? He's got that olive-colored skin, that suntan from where he's outside all the time. He's rugged. Uh, He's got that athletic build, and yet he's got that gentleness about him, that kindness about him. 
And the children are gathering around him and he takes them in his arms and he puts his hands on them and then he blesses them. Can you see the beauty of that scene? Uh, Jesus also healed a little girl of a Gentile woman in Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. And he cast out a demon out of a young boy in Matthew 17, 18. And he raised a little girl from the dead in Mark chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. Can you imagine how happy those three parents were when their children were either healed or their child was raised from the dead? Or think about the story when Jesus was uh, going to feed the 5,000. And how did he do it? He did it with the loaves and fish of a little boy. He had brought his lunch. He had a, maybe a sack lunch that day, and he brought his lunch with him. And Jesus said, give it to me. And it multiplied it in his hands, and he fed more than 5,000 people. Jesus said on another occasion that you have to become like a child. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3 and 4, meaning you have to humble yourself and come with simple faith. Uh, he uh, talks about, or the Gospels talk about, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the children were shouting, Hosanna. We were just singing it a, a few moments ago. The children were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David uh, in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 15. And then Jesus predicted some terrible days that are yet ahead of us. Even to this day, they are yet ahead of us when fathers would give their children up to death. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 12. And then finally, this 10th time that you find Jesus interacting or talking about children is in the gospel of Mark chapter 9 verse 37. And he said, if you receive a child in his name, you receive him. If you receive a child, you're receiving him and the one who sent him. And so you see all of this different kind of interaction. And why would you want us to see that today, pastor? Because I want you to see that Jesus loved children. Jesus loved them and took them in his arms and blessed them. Jesus wanted them to be with him. <clears throat> Jesus used them as examples and illustrations of spiritual truth that he was communicating. Jesus did these incredible things in raising children from the dead or casting out demons. Jesus loves children, and so should we. I would say that as parents, we should love our children. I would say as a church, one of the greatest joys that should be our joy is the joy of a congregation that is filled with young children and teenagers that are growing up and we're watching them grow up. There is nothing better in a church than seeing that kind of energy and that kind of excitement and that kind of thrill of children. And moms and dads, obviously, we should love our children. Love isn't permissive and love isn't passive. Love is active. It involves protecting and providing and participating in our children's lives. Too often we love our children with things, but when we do that, we raise entitled children who have a low capacity to experience lasting joy. What they need is something much more rich and much, more, uh, much deeper and, and much fuller than just being loved with things. Uh, love is demonstrated in our actions and in our attitudes. It's a deep genuine, heartfelt love that God intends for us as parents to share with our children and to share with our grandchildren. I was thinking as I was preparing this message today, I was thinking about 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8, which is a quote from Proverbs chapter 9. And it says, love covers a multitude of sins. Now, 
What that verse basically means is that when you love somebody, you don't expose their faults and their failures. But you can turn that verse around and you can say that if you love your children well, it's likely that your children aren't going to expose your faults and your failures. Because the reality is there are no perfect parents. We can all talk, can't we? But a lot of interesting experiences that we have over the course of raising our children. But do you know when your children feel loved, when your children are experiencing the love of parents, the end result is that those children grow up healthy and those children grow up happy and those children grow up to overlook the failures and every parent has them. If you've lived long enough to have your children raised and you can look in hindsight, I hate to even say it, 2020, <laughs> where you got perfect vision looking back, you find plenty of faults and plenty of failures. We all make them. But when your children were loved, those children grow up and they don't think about those things. They think about the times and the moments that you spent together and the times that they felt loved by you. Research shows that children who are loved do better physically. They do better with self-confidence. They do better with education if children are loved. You know, the one thing that I think of as I consider my 63 years of life, I look back and I can never remember a moment that I didn't feel loved by my parents. Now, I didn't always like their rules and I didn't always like their regulations. I wanted to go to a Chicago Five concert one time when I was a teenager and my daddy said, no, you're not going to that concert. And I didn't like that, and I didn't appreciate that. I was old enough to make that decision for myself. Chicago 5, some of you are saying, what in the world is that? Well, just go Google it. You'll figure it out. It wouldn't let me go to that concert, and I couldn't understand it. But you know what? It's often not until you become an adult and you grow up and you mature in life that you come to understand that a lot of those rules and a lot of those regulations were nothing more than a parent's what? than a parent's love. They knew better than you knew. They understood things that you didn't understand. They were concerned. Even if they didn't make the best choice at that given moment, they understood some consequences that you hadn't even thought out, and they were making those decisions on the basis of the fact that they loved you. And you get old enough, and you get to a place in life where you can look back, and you can reminisce. You've raised your own children, at least to a degree, you've raised your own children, you realize what you're doing with your own children, and you think back and you say to yourself, you know, when my mother said no or when my daddy said yes, they were saying it out of love, even if I didn't understand it at those moments. Our children need to be raised in homes where they are loved. I was thinking about a little story that I read <clears throat> recently about a little girl named Meadow. Don't you love that name? Her name was Meadow. She was the youngest daughter in this family, and the family was preparing for a yard sale. I don't know why anybody goes to those, but a lot of you love them. The real estate, the estate sales, I don't, I don't know why anybody goes to those either, but a lot of you love them. Just don't expect to find me at any of those. Uh, but, you know, it's a great thing, and they were having a yard sale, and they'd been working for days getting ready for the yard sale, and they had taken those little stickers, you know, with, that uh, you can push on to the things that you're selling and had a price on everything, and the day of the yard sale arrived, and the little girl was walking through, and everything had a sticker on it, and she came running back to her mother, and she said, Mother, Mother, everybody or everything has a price tag. I want a price tag, too. And the mother quickly thought, and she reached for one of those sticky 
labels that she could write on, and she wrote on it the word priceless. And she stuck it to her little girl's dress. And for the rest of the morning, she walked through all of the yard sale, people coming and going, people buying and leaving. And she walked around with that little, that little tag on her dress said, priceless. You realize that whether you put a tag on your children or not, that's what it means to love your kids. It means to make them feel that they are priceless in your life, that they mean more to you than anything else in life. And again, that doesn't mean being permissive. That doesn't mean being passive. That means being active. Sometimes it's protecting. It's always providing. It's, it's always guiding and caring and loving. Our children need to feel that kind of experience of love in their lives. They need to know that to us, they are priceless. Now, I'll tell you this, as a grandfather, that gets really a whole lot easier with grandkids than it did you know, with the kids, expressing that love in a way that they felt priceless. Now, as grandparents, that's an easy thing to do. Uh, but every person needs to make sure that their children and their grandchildren know that they are priceless gifts from God. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I thought it too as I was preparing. You know, isn't that a natural thing? Isn't it natural for parents to just love their children? I mean, after all, mothers go into the very door of death to be able to bring children into the world, and daddies just about go there with them. Well, not quite, but, you know, daddies go through some of that with them, and didn't it come just natural that you love your kids? Well, you would think so, but that's not always the case, is it? It's not always the case. I think of some high-profile examples one of them is a woman by the name of Penelope Trunk. In a Twitter post that she made just a few years ago, she caused even the virtual world to pause for a moment. She's a 42-year-old chief executive of a blog where women come to get advice on how to balance work and family. And Penelope tweeted while she was in a board meeting that she was having a miscarriage. And she indicated that it beat the abortion she was planning to have which would have meant missing two days of work. And this is what it read. This is what her tweet read. I'm in a board meeting, having a miscarriage. Thank goodness, because there's a blank, three-week hoop jump to have an abortion in Wisconsin. Think about that for a moment. Somebody that's pretty well known, somebody that women turn to and listen to, that come to her to get advice, and yet she obviously didn't love that life that was growing within her womb. Or think about Elton John. That's a name you never thought you'd hear from this pulpit. Elton John, the famous singer, in the Rolling Stone magazine article, he reflected on his parents, and this is what he said. They wouldn't hold you. They wouldn't say they loved you. I was afraid of my father. I was walking on eggshells the whole time trying to get his approval. He's been dead for a long time, and I'm still trying to prove things to him. Elton John went on to say that the only time his father ever touched him was when he was beating him. And then he would tell his mother about it, talk to his mother about it. He used that English term for mother, mum. My mom always said, There's just that, that, that's just the way we did it in those days, and it didn't affect you. And Elton John said, what are you talking about? It affects me every day. Or another name out of my generation growing up, Bruce Springsteen. That's another name you never thought you'd hear from this pulpit, right? In his 2016 memoir, he spoke about the issues that he had with his father. 
And on the day that his first son was being born, his name was Evan, was being born, his dad drove, Doug Springsteen, drove 400 miles in an impromptu kind of a trip uh, down to Bruce's house in Los Angeles, from San Mateo down to Los Angeles. When he arrived there, there was a small peace offering that he offered to his son. He said, Bruce, you've been very good to us. And then he said, and I wasn't very good to you. And I wasn't very good to you. Hey, those are just some high-profile examples of what I'm talking about. People that can't love the baby growing in their womb. Parents who didn't love their children, and the only time they touched them was when they were beating on them, or they were speaking down to them, or they were belittling them in some way. Children deserve to be loved. They deserve to be loved, and they deserve to be loved by their parents. Now, I can't fix every family in the world, but I pray that those that are watching this message and those that are listening to this message, I pray that we will go home and make sure that our children know that we love them. Everything else that we've talked about has to be done in the spirit of love. It has to be done in the atmosphere of love. Our children have to know they are priceless without us being permissive, without us being passive. So what are some ways that we can love our children? And this is where we're going to be extremely practical for the next few minutes in this topical message. Fifteen things that you can do to show love to your children. Number one, tell them that you love them. You can never tell them too, too much that you love them. Express it verbally to make sure that your children hear you say, I love you and their name that follows. It may be that you love them, but you've never talked to them about it. You've never told them about it. And the easiest thing for you to do, the most important thing for you to do amongst all of these 15 is to make sure that you say it and you say it often. My granddaughter was at my house last night, and when she came in, I told her I loved her. And when she left, I said, I love you, sweetheart. And it's a practice in our family. Sometimes we don't always do it, but it's a practice in our family that we try to make sure that we're constantly saying to each other that we love each other. That means sometimes you hug them. Now, I realize if you've got a teenager, especially a teenage boy, you might have to wait for the appropriate moment because you don't want to embarrass him in front of his friends. Sometimes it do you, dads, a, a, good, a good thing for you just to grab your son by the shoulder, put your arm around him and say, son, I love you. Look him in the eye. Son, I love you. He won't like it. That's okay. Just love him anyway. Make sure that you love your daughters. Make sure you love your grandkids. It's a small thing, but it's the most important thing that you can possibly do to demonstrate the love that you have for your children. Number two, ask them about their day. Just ask them, how's your day going? Show that you're interested in what's going on in their lives. I'm talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And to be willing to listen without judgment of your children. To just take in creating a bridge, creating conversation between yourself and your child. Make sure that you ask them about their day. Do you realize that some people come home and nobody asks them the kind of day they had? Do you know what that says? I'm not interested. Your day isn't that important. Or they walk in and we begin telling them about our day and we never take time to listen about their day. And I can assure you, your children are going through their own set of struggles 
And they need someone who will listen. Number three, give them your undivided attention. Give them your undivided attention. I mean, when they're asking you a question, turn off the television set, put down your iPad, take the earbuds out, and look at your children and give them for a few minutes your undivided attention. I was uh, at our house a few weeks back, and my grandson was sitting on the couch, and I was reading. I, I like uh, electronic books, and I was reading a book on my iPad, sitting in my favorite chair. And, um, you know, our grandson's just jabbering away. He's just going a mile a minute. He's just talking a mile a minute. And I was listening to him, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I stopped. After two or three minutes of this, I realized I'm not looking at him. I'm making a horrible mistake here. My grandson is speaking, and I'm still reading and just acknowledging him in the background. And I push the little button on the top of the iPad. I set it over next to my chair on the table that sits next to my chair. And for the next few minutes, I just looked him in the eye, and I let him talk, and I asked him questions. I wish I had always done that. I haven't always done that. But our children need our undivided attention. And can't we stop long enough listening to our latest our latest. Uh, our latest podcast, can't we listen a little while to our children, turn the podcast off, turn the TV off, turn the music off? Number four, give them praise when it's due them. Give them praise, especially when it comes to their character, when it comes to the virtues that you, uh, are, you believe are important, the values that the Scripture teaches us, and they do something that is right. Be sure to praise them. Doesn't everybody like to be cheered on occasion? Doesn't everybody like to have some encouragement in life? When you tell your children you're proud of them for the smallest of accomplishments that demonstrated that character, that demonstrated the values and the virtues that we hold dear, do you know what you're saying? You're reinforcing your, to your children that you love them. Number five, spend quality time with them. Quality time. You say, what does that mean? Going to the toy store and buying them something? Not at all. It means taking a, a walk, maybe around the neighborhood, or it might involve getting in the car and driving to get lunch or supper together. But the goal is to spend some quality time, just you and your children one-on-one. And some of you mothers are saying, I've got enough of that already. And I know, I'm speaking to dads. Dads need quality time with their children. Number six, set reasonable boundaries for them. Understand that boundaries say, I love you. Those rules and regulations of my parents that I didn't necessarily like at that particular period of my life, I recognize now were exactly the thing that I needed because it said, I love you. I saw an interesting story about a school. They had a playground, and one side of the playground was up, a, up against a very busy road. And when the kids would go out for their playtime, their play period, they would stay close to the building. They would never get over and fulfill out the entire playground. They stayed over close to the building. But one day they decided to build a fence, a tall, uh, solid fence along that side where the busy road was. And they noticed that after they built that fence, suddenly the children were, were filling up the entire playground and they were playing th- throughout the entire playground. Why? Because they felt safe, because there were boundaries. And did you hear the word reasonable? Reasonable boundaries. Listen to what Proverbs 13, 24 says. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Let me read it again. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Set reasonable boundaries. Number seven, have fun with them. 
Can you laugh? I can't see any smiles because they're all masked up. Do you ever laugh with your kids? Something funny? You just roll laughing. I have struggled with that. My personality is more serious-minded. You know, I deal with a lot of serious issues, and sometimes I, I see something that's funny. I have my mother's personality in that respect. I see something funny. Everybody else is rolling in the floor laughing, and I'm thinking, how dumb. <laughs> you know, the Charlie Chaplin kind of things. You know, it, it, how dumb. But you know, you've got to learn to laugh with your kids. You've got to learn to have fun with them. You know, some of the most fun times I remember with my son were when we were wrestling in the middle of the floor until I pinned him. I mean, how was I not going to pin him? You know, I'm twice as big as he is, maybe three times at that point, as big as he is. How was I not going to pin him? But we were laughing and playing and having fun. Have fun with your children. Number eight, show up at things they're doing. Even if you can't stay the whole time, show up at the things they're doing. When they're playing in a game, when they're performing in a dance, or when they're in a uh, musical performance show up. Can I give you a little psychological hint that I use in the hospitals? You say, what, what does that have to do with this? Well, I'm, I'm going to show you that showing up, even if you can't stay the whole time, matters. When I go to the hospital, which isn't very frequently anymore uh, because of the virus, when I go to the hospital and I visit somebody in a room, I always, I Well, let me say it this way. I almost always, 99% of the time, sit down in the chair across from the bed from them. You say, why would you do that? Are you planning to stay longer? No, I'm not staying any longer than if I stood in their room that whole time. But there's something psychological about sitting down in the room that that they know you're there for a few minutes. It's as if you've come to stay for a little while. Can I just tell you that even if you can't go for the whole game, you can't be there for the whole concert, when you show up for just a little while, just spend some of your time, you're sending a message to your children that they're important. Number nine, push them but not too hard. You know, kids need somebody to believe in them. I believe you can do this. I believe you can do better. I believe you can accomplish more. I believe you can win that medal. I believe you can, you can increase or, or decrease your running time. You don't want to increase your running time. It's like increasing your golf score. You don't want to do that. I believe you can decrease your running time. Push them, but not too hard. Remember, there's still kids. You know, some kids I see being pushed to the place of provocation. Because parents are living out their lives through their children. Number 10, know what's going on in their lives. Talk to them. Get to know their teachers. Get to know their parents, the the parents of their friends, the parents of their friends. Get to know what's going on in their lives. Know something about them. You know, open the lines of communication. Number 11, get to know their friends. And I'm going to stop here for a moment. I don't know if I can tell you that on this list, aside from that very first thing, this is one of the most important things that you can do. Unless you have a child that's a natural born leader, most of our children are followers, and if they get surrounded with the wrong kinds of people, almost inevitably they end up following to do the wrong kinds of things. And parents have a responsibility to get to know their children's friends. This is especially important as they get into those teen years. As a matter of fact, we always wanted the kids to want to hang out at our place rather than hang out at the other people's places. that make any sense to you? Okay, it just makes sense to me. Makes sense, doesn't it? 
You get to know their friends. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Go look it up. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Bad company ruins good morals. If your children are young, it is not too early for you to pray that God brings the right kind of boy or girl into her life that they will date. How many boys started dating a girl that misled them or a girl that was misled by a boy. Number 12, let them into your world. Be transparent. Now, you have to be careful. You don't want to be overly transparent. You don't want to tell your children what all you did when you were growing up. But you want to be tra transparent enough to let them know that you struggled in life and you still struggle in life and you humble yourself in a way before them Without surrendering your authority, you're still the parent. Number 13, give them room to make mistakes. Kids are going to make mistakes, aren't they? Any of you have perfect kids? Now, we have perfect grandkids. You have perfect grandkids. But I'm talking about the kids. Any perfect kids? There are no perfect kids. We have to give our children room for mistakes. That means we have to be willing to forgive them when they fail. And we have to keep teaching them that we'll never stop loving them, even if they fail. Number 14, we have to acknowledge when... You're wrong. You have to acknowledge when you're wrong. You have to humble yourself before your children sometimes, and you have to say, I'm sorry. Well, we never said that. I, I heard a man say that to me one time. I never say, I'm sorry. <laughs> Biggest mistake you could ever possibly make is to never say, I'm sorry. If you're wrong, you say it to your children. About 30 years ago, Mary and I were on a trip with our young people from the church to Canada. Can I just tell you that even though I was a youth pastor for almost five years, I had forgotten in just uh, six or seven years, eight years, I had forgotten what it was like to travel with teenagers. Uh, our daughter was one of the younger teenagers in that group, and our son went with us. They took their homework with them. The schoolwork went with them. We were in Kitchener, Ontario, and I was out with the teenagers all over Kitchener, Ontario, taking them to... First of all, help clean up the church, which was basically a storefront that they were getting ready, where they were going to begin the church, this missionary couple we were working with. And then we were out passing out flyers all day long, passing out flyers, inviting people to come to the church service. And by the time I got back to the hotel room, I had had enough of everything. I walked in the room, and J.D., our son, I don't know exactly what he said, or I don't know exactly what he did, but it set me off. And all of that frustration from all of that day came pouring out on J.D. Went over and took whatever it was he was playing with in his hand. I grabbed it out of his hand. I took it to a trash can in the room, and I threw it in the trash can. And then I said, you get on that bed, and you go to bed. You go to sleep. Like any kid's going to be able to get, you know, go to sleep in those circumstances. Now, thankfully, I have a strong wife. And she was able to remind me of where they had been all day. We've been in this room all day with no car to go anywhere. We have eaten at this hotel. These kids have been doing homework all day. They've not been able to get out all day. And I knew I had made a huge, huge mistake. I apologized to him. And here's the funny part. When he was going through his teen years, I think I went to him three or four more times. I'd go back in his bedroom and I'd say, J.D., you remember six years ago, seven years ago, five years ago when I 
I lost it with you in that hotel room, J.D., please, please don't hold that against me. I don't, want to, I don't want it to warp your life. I don't want you to not love God because of what your daddy did. I don't want you to have to go to a roll-off home. If you don't know what a roll-off home, that's a home for wayward children. I don't want you to have to go to a roll-off home. And now when we talk about it, we laugh about it. I bet you I apologize to him at least six or eight times over the course of many years. J.D., please don't let this warp you for the rest of your life. Acknowledge when you're wrong. And number 15, and finally, give them a real faith to follow. I've hit this in every single message, and I hit it again today. Your kids need to see a mom and a dad who love Jesus with all of their hearts. They need to see a mom or a dad who's following Jesus, who's passionate about Jesus, who's passionate about Jesus' church, who's passionate about Jesus' word, who's passionate about reaching people with the gospel, who believes that Jesus is real. Give them a real faith to follow. Those are just 15 things that I've written down. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to add to that list. What can you do in the lives of your children specifically and uniquely in your setting, in your family setting, where you can demonstrate love to your children? Your children need to wear that price tag that says priceless. Your grandchildren need to wear that price tag that says priceless. They need to know whether they express it back to you or not. They need to know that you, that they are loved They are loved. I want to read to you a letter. It was written by a man who had a daughter that died at the age of 10. It was sent to Dr. James Dobson. Matter of fact, it's in his book, When God Doesn't Make Sense. And if you're ever going through struggles and it doesn't make sense, God doesn't make sense to you, it's one of the best books you can ever pick up and read. I gave away my paper copy, my printed copy of it, and I just recently got me a new digital copy so I can keep it. Gave it away thinking I'd get it back, and it never came back to me. So if you're listening to me and you've got it, bring it back. (laughs) This is a letter that's found in Dr. Dobson's book, When God Doesn't Make Sense, written by this dad to his daughter. My dear Bristol, Before you were born, I prayed for you. In my heart, I knew that you would be a little angel. And so you were. When you were born on my birthday, April the 7th, it was evident that you were a special gift from the Lord. But how profound a gift you turned out to be. More than the beautiful bundle of gurgles and rosy cheeks, more than the firstborn of my flesh, a joy unspeakable, you showed me God's love more than anything else in all creation. Bristol, You taught me how to love. I certainly loved you when you were cuddly and cute, when you rolled over and sat up and jabbered your first words. I loved you when the searing pain of realization took hold that something was wrong, that maybe you were not developing as quickly as your peers, and then we understood it was more serious than that. I loved you when we went from hospital to clinic to doctor looking for a medical diagnosis that would bring some hope. And of course, we always prayed for you and prayed and prayed. I loved you when one of the tests resulted in too much spinal fluid being drawn from your body and you screamed. I loved you when you moaned and cried. 
when your mom and I, your sisters, would drive for hours late at night to help you fall asleep. I loved you with tears in my eyes when, confused, you would bite your fingers or your lip by accident and when your eyes crossed and then went blind. I most certainly loved you when you could no longer speak, but how profoundly I missed your voice. I loved you when your scoliosis started wrenching your body like a pretzel, when we put a tube in your stomach so you could eat because you were choking on your food, which we fed you one spoonful at a time for up to two hours per meal. I managed to love you when your contorted limbs would not allow ease of changing your messy diapers, so many diapers, 10 years of diapers. Bristol, I even loved you when you couldn't say the one thing in life that I longed to hear back, Daddy, I love you. Bristol, I loved you when I was close to God and when he seemed far away and when I was full of faith and also when I was angry at him. And the reason I loved you, my Bristol, in spite of these difficulties, is that God put this love in my heart. This is the wondrous nature of God's love, that he loves us even when we are blind, deaf, or twisted in body or in spirit. God loves even us even when we can't tell him that we love him back. My dear Bristol, now you are free. I look forward to that day according to the promises when you will be together with when we will be together with you with the Lord completely whole and full of joy I'm so happy that you've you have your crown first we will follow you someday in his time before you were born I prayed for you in my heart I knew you would be a little angel and so you were love daddy <laughs>